Welcome back to World Changers. My name is Steven. And I'm Brett. And today we're going to be talking about one of the greatest American heroes of all time. Maybe even the first. Yeah, well, technically it would be the first because it was in America before then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about George Washington, the first president of the United States. Yep, that's right. And uh, he was kind of a larger-than-life figure. We'll try to give you a short summary of his life and give you some interesting facts and send you on your way. All right, let's just dive right in and talk about his early life. Yeah. So he was born on February 22nd, 1732 in Westmoreland County, Virginia. Um, so, you know, early 1700s is about a little, little, little over 50 years before the American Revolution. He has... Four he, years, sorry. I'm bad at math. Uh, he had six brothers and sisters, or he was one of six. Mm-hmm. And his father died when he was 11. Yep. There we go again. Again. Bam. In case you guys haven't noticed, almost every single person we've done so far on this list of the greatest people who've ever lived has had a parent or a significant loved one die in their childhood. Yeah. That's what we're referring to. So yeah, when he was 11 years old. So he grew up on a plantation near Fredericksburg. Fun fact, Stephen here, that's me, I've been to Fredericksburg. Oh, Pretty boring, but maybe it was cool at the time, you know? <laughs> maybe not. They had they had cool people uh, walking around pretending to be, uh, like, historical figures. You when know? you went there? Yeah, it's really fun. You, like, ask them questions, and they're, like, role-playing. But it was just, like, like, like founding fathers? Like George Washington? Yeah, like, I, think, I can't that? remember exactly who it was, but, yeah, there was a, the most significant figures, and they would ask questions, and they, like, rebuilt the city and stuff. It's cool. We were not paid by Fredericksburg, Virginia to give a plug, but there you go. Um, George, he was homeschooled from age 7 to 15. He didn't have a lot of education, though. Basically, after that, he, well, maybe during that time, he kind of he basically learned how to grow tobacco, raise livestock, and survey. Um, Which, yeah, surveying's pretty much just mapping land. Uh-huh. So you kind of look at, like, the... Uh, yeah, the topography. So, like, how high mountains are and where the rivers are. But you're kind of, it's actually really mathematical. So, mm-hmm. as he was going through school, he had a, a proclivity with math. And that kind of led him into surveying. And at the time, it was a distinguished profession that people mm-hmm. kind of looked up to. And it was fun. You got to travel. And he was really good at it. Cool. Yeah, so he actually started making a good amount of money surveying and just kind of going around and... Mapping out lands. Yeah, and he would spend the better part of his life taking care of his own estate, a lot of land. He owned a ton of acres, thousands of acres. Yeah. uh, And was very devoted to the idea that America would expand west Hmm. to the Pacific Ocean. So he was was into the whole land thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, He loved his hometown. That's Mm -hmm. all he wanted to do. He seemed like a guy... Almost like Aragorn of old, that had <laughs> almost third age. Almost had this destiny thrown upon him, mm. and he didn't chase it. He didn't embrace it. All of his greatness, it was like the world begged him to fulfill his greatness, but he didn't have this ambition necessarily to do it. He just wanted to go home and farm mm. and be a family man and live a simple life. 
but he but he stepped up to and filled the shoes that the world was asking, which is kind of unique, you know. Reminds me of me. <laughs> So in 1751, um, so as, as we said, uh, about 15, he finishes school, starts being a surveyor. At 1751, so how old would he be at this point? Uh, 19, 18, 19. 18, 19. He made his first and only trip outside of America hmm. when he traveled to Barbados for spring break. Nice. Just kidding. Uh, his Shell older, beach. his half older half brother Lawrence was suffering from tuberculosis. And so they thought maybe if they moved down to warmer weather, it would help them out. So they go down there to a different climate, and while they're down there, George, he gets smallpox. So, bad trip. Yeah. He survives, but the illness left him with permanent facial scars. Oh, interesting. Not sure exactly what that means. You said tuberculosis? Yeah. Or smallpox. Wait, what did you... Sorry, sorry. Lawrence had tuberculosis... George. George got smallpox. Yeah, smallpox, yeah. So maybe like chickenpox kind of thing. So yeah. like little like acne Just scars. Little marks, yeah. Yeah. But um, anyways, a year after they got there, his uh, Lawrence, who was like George Washington's mentor, um, and, his, and his older half-brother, he dies. Hmm. So kind of sad. And, and George inherits his estate, Mount Vernon. Yeah. So he becomes head of like the family household at the age of 20, I think, and so in 1752. Um, in 1753, he became a major in the Virginia militia and was sent to the Ohio Valley. To, so he started his military career at this point. Yeah. Um, sent to the Ohio, Ohio Valley to politely ask the French to move off the land that was claimed by Britain. <laughs> they politely refused. <laughs> so... <laughs> He, so he went back to Virginia to get an army and attacked Fort Duquesne, a French fort, killed the commander, and this began the, the French and Indian, and Indian War. Oh, wow. Um, he was, a couple years later, he was given the rank of colonel and joined British General Edward Braddock's army in Virginia. Um, that army attacked a few French forts as well, and... General Braddock was mortally wounded during the fighting, but Washington survived with four bullet holes in his cloak and having had two horses shot out from under him. So it's like... Unbelievable. It's like he was being protected by a higher power or something, but he survived and ended up um, becoming the commander of all the Virginia troops in 1755 at the age of 23. Yeah, so he just has this meteoric rise... So he's running all the armies, he's fighting in the French and Indian War, and after, in 1759, he resigns his commission, mm-hmm. returns to Mount, Mount Vernon, and he's elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses, Burgesses where he served for the next uh, almost uh, 20 years, maybe 15 years. Yeah, basically up until the time of the Revolution, right? Yeah. Um, side note, he marries Martha Custis at the beginning of 1759. She was super rich, so brought a lot of money and land into the... Sugar mama. Into the household. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And she had two kids, too. Two kids. Yeah, she yep. was uh, a widow, a wealthy widow. Yeah, she was a few months older than George. Uh, so, the two kids were John. Yeah. Also, they called him Jackie. He was six, and Martha was the other kid. Um, they called her Patsy. She was four. Both of them died around the time of the American Revolution. And what's even sadder is that they had no 
offspring of their own. Hmm. Right, yeah, George and Martha did not. So in the next couple years, he's expanding Mount Vernon from you know 2,000 to 8,000 acres with five farms. He grew crops, wheat, corn. He bred mules, uh, had fruit orchards, a fishery. He loved farming, and he was always experimenting with new crops and like land conservation methods. So he's just a simpleton. I mean, he's super rich, mm-hmm. eight thousand acres, but he just he's loving. It. He loves the land, and yeah. he's just out there, you know, kind of tending to his garden. He just likes doing his own thing. Just doing his own thing. Yeah, he had a, he had more than a hundred slaves, um, but that he, helps. Yeah, I mean, that definitely helps. Probably tend to good garden. But he would slaves. often do manual labor himself alongside his slaves. And because, uh, I mean, he was just that kind of guy. I mean, he just liked to work, I think. Yeah. Using his hands. Um, so it, he he disliked the institution of slavery, but accepted it as the law. And obviously he benefited from it. But So about uh, 1760s, uh, how old is he at this point? Like 40? Uh, yeah, so he was born in 1732. He'd be in his 30s during the 60s. Okay, 30s. Um, this is when uh, Britain started taxing the American colonists. Well, they already were taxing them, but the tax started kind of rising. Yeah. And it was a burden for everyone, especially for Washington. And he actually uh, supported them kind of uh, becoming independent, declaring their independence and getting away. So he served as a delegate to the first Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of a representative from all of these. America was split into different um, colonies right. that are sort of like states as we think of them today. And they kind of functioned on their own. So there wasn't a United States. It was just like these separate colonies. And he represented one of them. And they went and met with all the other colonies to see, hey, would you guys be down if we kind of get out of this party yeah, early. They were trying to figure out what to do about it. Yeah. So and by the time there was the second Continental Congress, the American Revolution had begun. So they had the yeah. first one and yeah. And and it was uh, around the time of that second Continental Congress that George was appointed as the commander in chief of the Continental Army. Yeah. In seventeen seventy five. They say he was a better general than a military strategist, which sounds mm. like the same thing. But apparently he didn't have this, you know, genius tactical skills like send 40 guys over there, we'll flank him from the left, you know. His, his main thing was inspiration and giving his people hope, motivating them. Because a lot of them were poorly trained, they lacked food, they're facing the greatest army on earth at the time. You know, and these are, right. a lot of these guys are like farmers and they don't have the supplies that they need. And he was able to give them direction and motivation that they were gonna. They were fighting for something bigger than themselves. You know. Yeah, he kind of had guys on his in his inner circle that would help him with all the strategy and everything. Like Alexander Hamilton was one of them. Yeah, like, like one of the ones that would that was kind of a genius strategist that would be able to help him with that kind of thing. So we don't need to dive too much into the war, but it's about eight years, mm-hmm. and the colonies, uh, which became the United States, they didn't win that many battles. But they, they held off Britain yeah. for a while. It would, the, the war could be kind of um, compared to like a bear swatting at a bee, you know, like eating some honey and then just kind of gets sick of it and goes away. You know? okay. It wasn't like we, uh, that America took over, you know, Britain. Right. Well, I think that uh, something interesting that I read was that uh, Britain's original strategy was to go after the big cities. New York, Philadelphia, and kind of take those over, and maybe just that would 
dishearten the Americans. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned George Washington being able to inspire people. I think what he realized was the most important part of this war was that the American people didn't give up on the idea of, of independence and just say, whatever, like, Britain can keep on ruling us. So they realized, Britain soon realized that taking over those big cities didn't do anything because um, as long as the people still wanted to be independent, the majority of people, like, even if they take over the cities where, where people were holding, where the Americans were holding the Continental Congresses, like, they'll just move it somewhere else yeah. and do it. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. Yeah, so they uh, ended up holding off the British, and the British said, you know what, have your independence. You're not going to know what you're doing. You're not going to last, pretty much. You'll be back. You'll be back. Wait and see. <laughs> um, anyway, so it ends at... 1783. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in 1783, the British uh, evacuated the continent and left and went back to Britain. So at that same time, Washington says, cool, I did my duty, uh, gave up his command of the army, returned to Mount Vernon, and he just wanted to resume his life as a gentleman, a farmer, and a family man. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty dope, yeah. <laughs> um, but four years later, he attends the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Um, he was appointed president of that convention, and then in 1789... So the Constitutional Convention was to decide what to do about the government. You mentioned before that... The, the government was kind of unstable because everyone, it was just the, the 13 colonies or states that, that were separate. And there were a lot of disputes over land and borders. Uh, state taxes were all different. And so they needed something to unite them. Some people wanted to keep the Articles of Confederation. Um, others wanted to create a new constitution. And it was, um, it was decided that a new constitution would be created. And George Washington was unanimously approved as president of the new United States in 1789. Yeah, so he was, we mentioned that he goes to, um, he goes to this meeting and gets put in charge. Yeah. Right? So what that's kind of showing us is that he's just a natural leader. That people just, he's tall. He's about 6'2", mm-hmm. which is enormous at the time. So he's kind of tall and confident and kind. And so he just naturally can, can can control a room. And so he goes into this meeting with all of the leaders of this new foundation, and immediately they make him the leader. Yeah. You know? So just kind it of... says a lot about who he was, yeah. Totally. So he becomes president in 1789, and he served two four-year terms and then retired to Mount Vernon in 1797. There was a lot of pressure for him to stay as a for a third term, but he... Decided no, like two is enough at least for him. Yeah, and that was he, a big thing. Yeah, he knew that he was setting a precedent for this new country as as its first president. Everything he did would be scrutinized for decades, centuries to come. I don't know if he how far he he uh, saw into the future, but he knew that it would uh, it would set a precedent for, precedent for a lot of, for a long time. So he was very careful about what he did. Yeah, so, I mean, everyone wanted him to stay. Yeah. And he just said, you know, we just left one monarchy. He definitely, he for sure would have been, like, it's not like there was any competition for him, like, saying, I don't know if I want to run again, you know, I don't know if I'll beat this other guy. It was like, he would definitely be president if he decided to be president for longer, but he decided to give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he gave a, a farewell address as well, giving advice to his his countrymen and um, on how to keep the republic and be, to be unified. The uh, the two party system started under his presidency, uh, mainly due to the opposing views of Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson, which were the most high profile members of his cabinet. Um, so when he left office, George Washington, he he stressed that the people needed to be unified. Otherwise, it wouldn't work out. Yeah, so that's pretty much, I mean, going into, so he kind of retires yep. and uh, finally goes back to Mount Vernon, which is where he, you know, has been wanting to go this whole time. And um, in December 1799, he caught a cold after inspecting some properties in the rain. Yeah. And turned into a throat infection. He died December 14th at the age of 67. Yep. And uh, he was he was loved by everyone in the country. And even those in Europe honored him when they heard of his death. Um, Napoleon uh, yeah. in France and Britain, they, they honored his legacy. And there were... Uh, you know, honorary funerals held across the country of the United States. People loved him. So. Yeah, no, everyone. That's what's the coolest thing about it is that everyone around the world kind of uh, paid their condolences, you know. Right. So Washington was buried at Mount Vernon in a tomb located near the Potomac River. But some people tried to steal some steal some bones, and there was, like, some weird stuff happening. So... Um, they decided to build a new, more secure, secure tomb a uh, short distance from the original location. And they made the second tomb. George and his wife Martha were both placed there. After a short ceremony at the new tomb, the inner vault door was closed and the key was thrown into the Potomac River. Kind of cool. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So pretty fun stuff. But let's, uh, let's head over and go over some fun quotes. I'll go first. It's better to offer no excuse than a bad one. Nice. It's far better to be alone than to be in bad company. I like it. My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am I owe to my mother. I attribute my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Physical education, huh? Push-ups. Yeah. (laughs) She was a... She was a tough, tough mom. If the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Be courteous to all, but intimate with few, and let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. True friendship is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity before it is entitled to appellation. I like that one. That's probably my favorite so far. To be prepared for war is one of the most effective means of preserving peace. All right. I hope I shall possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man. Hmm. Discipline is the soul of an army. It makes small numbers formidable, procures success to the weak, and esteem to all. Okay. 
Associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. Nice. My first wish is to see this plague of mankind, war, banished from the earth. The turning points of life are not the great moments. The real crises are often concealed in occurrences so trivial in appearance that they pass unobserved. The little things, Brett. It's the little things. We should not look back unless it is to derive useful lessons from past errors and for the purpose of profiting by dearly bought experience. I like it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on and, and finish up with some fun stories and kind of talk about why he's great. Yeah, let's do it. George Washington fell in love with his best friend's wife. Scandalous. So, it was a woman named Sally Fairfax who was the wife of George William Fairfax. And let me read a little bit from this uh, letter that he wrote to, to Sally. He said, "'Tis true I profess myself a votary to love. I acknowledge that a lady is in the case, and further I confess that this lady is known to you. Yes, madam, as well as she is to one who is too sensible of her charms to deny the power whose influence he feels and must ever submit to.' You have drawn me, my dear madam, or rather I have drawn myself into an honest confession of a simple fact. So he confessed his love to her. Now, there's no evidence that he was ever unfaithful to Martha, so... Oh, this is during his marriage? Uh, I think he fell in love with her before he was actually married to Martha. Oh, okay. But... uh, Well, so the, the letter was written in 1758... Okay, yeah. And they were married at the beginning of 1759, him and Martha, so pretty much around the same time. Anyway. Um, Toothaches bothered him his whole life. Um, He's probably like one of the most sickly presidents we've ever had. Hmm. But when he was 57, he had all of his teeth pulled, and from then on he wore ivory false teeth and a silver plate, so... That That sounds sucky, man. (laughs) He really loved dogs. He uh, kept and bred a lot of hunting hounds, and he's known as the father of the American foxhound. Kept more than 30 dogs. He's the only president... Oh, were you going to say something? Nope, you got to keep going. He's the only president to actually go into battle while serving as president. It's pretty dope. Okay, nice. He lost more battles than he won. Kind of interesting. Before fighting the British, he fought for the British. Oh, where did he do that? Better? Yeah, well, he was actually he applied. So around the time when he was part of the Virginia militia, right? He kind of became disillusioned with the military. Mm-hmm. But he applied to be to be commissioned as an officer in the British Army, but was he was denied. <sighs> Their loss. They could have had he was also made an honorary citizen of France in 1792. So maybe the greatest American was also French. Um, he may have died from medical malpractice. It's mm. kind of this weird thing at the time. But they did this thing called bloodletting, where oh, yeah. they would like take out blood from your body. And I think it had to do with they thought there was four general liquids that made up your whole body. 
like yeah, phlegm, humors. humor, yeah, blood and what. And so when they were out of balance is when you got sick. And so they would like take out blood. So he actually removed five pence. Pints. <laughs> Gosh dang it. I don't know why I say pence, but I do. Five pints of blood from his body. And, that's uh, a lot. Yeah, a lot of people think that's what killed him. So, freaking doctors. <laughs> Idiots. Just kidding. Doctors are great. What I said about him being the sick, one of the sickliest presidents, he had, I don't know how to say this, diphtheria, tuberculosis, smallpox. Diphtheria? Diphtheria, yeah. Diphtheria. Um, dysentery, malaria, quinsy, tonsillitis, carbuncle, pneumonia, Epiglottis. If I said those wrong, I'm sorry. The point is, he had a bunch of problems. Yeah. Um, his hair was real. Do you know that? It wasn't a wig. Get out of town. Yeah, no, he just powdered it white. Freaked. Well, he made a hefty salary, 2% of the total U.S. budget. Dope. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine that today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that'd be a lot of money. A lot of money. So, also, after he died, he was awarded the highest rank in U.S. military ever. I think it's like five star general or something, but they made it so no one else can ever get it. So, nice. pretty much, he's the highest ranking person that will ever live. Until Trump figures out a way to get it. Trump will <laughs> figure it out, dude. <laughs> he's going to be the highest ranking military yeah. in American history if it's the last thing he does. Um, cool. I think that's all I got. You got anything yep. else? Last fun thing was that he had no middle name. Huh. You don't need a middle name when your name's George Washington. That's true. Okay, well, let's just take a George. Like, sorry, go ahead. George Cherry Tree Washington. <laughs> in quotes. That was his nickname. That's what they called him in high school. Um, let's just talk a little bit about why we think he was great and how he compares to other people. Why don't you start? Yeah, sure. Um, so, he... He again is one of these one of these that uh, seems to have been put in a situation in a certain time that really allowed him to rise to the level of influence he's had over the centuries. Yeah, I mean, he was the you know he was the military leader of the revolution, the the American Revolution. So. And the first president of the United States. But we, we talked about how... How much of a natural leader he was, right? And he definitely had some very... He had some gifts for, of leadership. Um, toughness, probably. I mean, talk about it. He was sickly. Like, he did all that stuff with... And, like, and like led the army and was president of the United States with all of those health issues, you know? How yeah. tough was he? It's pretty cool. Um, so taking that all, all into account and, be, and having to navigate through the political landscape as well as being a, a military leader took some real skill, some real um, political ability, the ability to deal with people. Uh, so, you know, thinking about all of those different things, it's, it's easy to see why, why we basically revere him as, as possibly the greatest American to have ever lived. Um, 
and and having that place as the first president of the United States and having led us through the revolution kind of secures his place in American history for forever, right? For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously great. He was a great motivator, great leader. It seemed like he was really humble, even though he was given all of these abilities and characteristics that made him great. I think it was really interesting in comparison to a lot of other generals, he didn't have this thirst for greatness, you know? For power. For power. And he just wanted to do his thing, you know? And I think he kind of got it. I think he kind of understood what was most important. And that's just living in the moment, you know? Focusing on family and friends and, like, your inner circle. And I think he realized that he just happened to be born in this time where his greatness was demanded. Mm -hmm. So he lived up to it. But I think there's a lot of people out there like George Washington who live mediocre lives that we never know about. And they're content with that. They don't need the world to tell them that they're great. Where some of these people like Alexander the Great, he seemed like he was seeking that. He was always seeking for something more. He was never satisfied. You know? And he died while still fighting. And he was probably happy about that because I can't see Alexander coming home and relaxing and being happy. No. But George, whenever he finished something, he was like, cool, I'm going to go home now. Like, yeah. that's what I'm fighting for is for my freedom to live my life how I want. Reminds me of Gladiator. A lot like Gladiator. Yeah. A lot like Gladiator. Wow, totally. Yeah. You guys watch Gladiator? So good. Anyways, yeah, so I think, um, I think you're right, though. A lot of his greatness was circumstantial. But a lot of it also was, I think he would have been an amazing man regardless of where he was born. I don't think he would have changed the world. He just happened to be, at the time, I think if you believe in destiny, I think it might have been destiny, you know? Well, what was the uh, what was the Shakespeare thing? Some of greatness thrust upon them. Some, some were born great, some achieved greatness, some of greatness thrust upon them, yeah. Yeah. I think he was born above average. Yeah. And he was given all of these things, but the greatness, it was thrust upon him, you know, the... The Revolutionary War cemented him as one of the greatest people that have ever lived. I think what, yeah, that's a great place to stop. But I wanted to say that I think that, like you mentioned, maybe his defining characteristic, especially when we compare him to people like Napoleon and Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, is just that he didn't care about the power. He just wanted to do his duty and go home. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Keep sending us emails and comments, worldchangerspod at gmail.com. Uh, our Twitter is WC underscore pod. Yep. Uh, feel free to you know send us direct messages, uh, talk about who we should do next. And if we've said anything wrong, please feel, feel, uh, feel free to correct us. But that's all we got for you today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Have a great day.